Is it on? Thank you. I wasn't. The Apostle Paul did a lot of traveling. Some of you have been traveling yourselves and seeing our great nation from detours. Paul took a detour from Ephesus after having been there on his fourth missionary journey, went to Macedonia and left Timothy in charge of the Ephesian church. Today, we're looking over Timothy's shoulder at this note from Paul, and I'll be reading from 1 Timothy 2, the first four voices, four, four verses, instructions on worship. Would you stand with me, please? I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. The word of the Lord. And thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Gail. Um, I've been preaching uh, my way in recent weeks through our mission statement. We touched on the first, what's the, what's the first statement? It's, yeah, time out. It's on the front of your bulletin. That's, yeah, reach out in service. That's the outreach piece. What's the, what's the second one? Connect people with Jesus. That's the evangelism piece. And I should be moving on to the third statement, which is... But I'm not. You know, um, I think sometimes the evangelism piece... And and I shared this with you. Uh, Surveys done by Christian organizations say that that's probably one of the areas where God's people are weakest... Um, is in the area of evangelism. Uh, it's, we live in a tough culture for that for one reason, but I think there's a fear factor involved, and it's just we don't do it as consistently as, as, and as effectively as we should. So I thought what I'd do today is, is talk about something that we can do to help us be more evangelistic. Kind of, I'm Wanting to put a tool in your hands. Sound good? Okay, good. Good answer. I'm glad you agree with me. Uh, but even if you didn't, you're going to hear it anyway. So, uh, You know, my, my neighborhood and yours has great potential for change. Did you know that? And it's not because new homes will be built. In fact, I think most of the homes in our neighborhood were built in the early 60s. It's not because people will paint and clean up their yards, and it's not because people will be moving in or out. My neighborhood and yours can change because people can change, and that change can be good. How many of you would agree that there's some things that we can do to change our community in a positive way? 
You agree with that? Sure. I mean, there's things that we can do like being involved on the city council or a school board or various committees or maybe we can get involved in coaching or something like volunteering here in the, the Our Center here in Longmont. All are good things and all can make a positive impact. But I want to talk to you about something today that can have a greater impact for godly change than any of these things. And the place that it can have the greatest impact is right in your own neighborhood. See, if we change neighborhoods, we change our community. And the exciting thing about that is many of us live in different neighborhoods across our community, don't we? But that all begins with changed lives. Our communities and our neighborhood our neighborhoods change and our communities change when lives are changed. And the key to change lives is here you go. It's like prayer. Oh pastor, I've heard that before. Prayer. Well, before I go any further, I want, I want to touch on, on uh, something else. By the way, this, this whole passage that Gail shared with us is, is about praying. Right? It's about praying. And so I want to touch on something that's not really the thrust of our, my sermon, but I think we need to hear. It's important to mention. Uh, it, verse 2 in our text says we're to pray for kings and all those in authority. Romans 13.1 says, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. I think sometimes we forget that. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, neither one of these scriptures, the one from Timothy or the one that I shared with you just now from Ephesians, says anything about authorities that we liked or voted for. It says nothing about good or evil. This is from a commentary. Uh, a commentator says this, emperors, by the way, that word is used in some versions like the Revised Standard, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, and the English Standard Version in place of where we might read kings. Emperors might be persecutors and those in authority might be determined to stamp out Christianity. But the Christian church never, even in times of bitterest persecution cease to pray for them, those in authority over us, kings, emperors, rulers, presidents, whoever it might be. It is extraordinary, extraordinary to trace how all, though in early days, those days of bitterest persecution, the church regarded it as an absolute duty to pray for the emperor and his subordinate kings and governors. Fear God, said Peter, honor the emperor. And we must remember that the emperor was none other than Nero. Swell guy. You know something about Nero, don't you? He was a monster of cruelty. Tertullian insists that for the emperor, the Christian pray for... Now, this, is, this would have applied to Nero. Pray for long life, secure dominion, a safe home, a faithful senate, a righteous people, and a world at peace. We pray for our rulers, he wrote, for the state of the world, for the peace of all things, and for the postponement of the end. Hmm. 
You'd think they'd be wanting the end to hurry up under a ruler like that, wouldn't you? He writes, The Christian is the enemy of no man, least of all the emperor, for we know that since he has been appointed by God, it is necessary that we should love him and reverence him and honor him and desire his safety together with that of the whole Roman Empire. Therefore, we sacrifice for the safety of the emperor. In A.D. 311, the Emperor Galerius actually asked for the prayers of the Christians and promised them mercy and indulgence if they prayed for the state. Tatian writes, Does the Emperor order us to pay tribute? We willingly offer it. Does the ruler order us to render service of servitude? We acknowledge our servitude. But a man must be honored as befits a man, but only God is to be reverenced. Theophilus of Antioch writes, The honor that I will give the emperor is all the greater, because I will not worship him, but I will pray for him. I will worship no one but the true and real God, for I know that the emperor was appointed by him. It may be that evil rulers, or at least those we disagree with, may need prayer as much as more godly ones need prayer. And then verse 1, going back to our text, tells us that we are to pray for everyone. Wow! Pray for everyone? That sounds a little overwhelming. We shouldn't even have time to do this. We should be praying whole service, right? It does sound overwhelming, but I, I believe it could be said this way. I urge you that requests, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone that you pray for. Sounds a little more manageable, doesn't it? And what's the reason we pray? Well, for kings and authorities so that we may have a quiet and peaceful lives in all godliness and holiness. For everyone, because prayer is critical for them to come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. Prayer. That's why it's good and pleases God. That's why these prayers are good and please God. Because he has said in Ezekiel 18.23, Do I take pleasure in the death of the wicked? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? That's what God desires for people. And in fact, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, he says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Maybe that's why Tertullian said that we should pray for the postponement of the end. So that more people have a chance to turn to Jesus and be saved. Pray for everyone. This pleases God who wants all men to be saved. So how do we get started? Well, first of all, we must believe that prayer makes a difference. If you don't, if you don't believe that prayer makes a difference, why would you do it? In book, now, by the way, I need to confess something this morning. This is a rehashed sermon. I went to my files, because I remember preaching this a long time ago, 
and pulled it out. And I, as a pastor friend of mine said, I massaged it a little. Because I, I believe it's, it's good stuff that helps us in this second phase of our mission statement to be more evangelistic. So some of these illustrations are probably years old, but they're powerful illustrations anyway. I just want you to know that. We must believe that prayer makes a difference. In Brooklyn, New York, the non-Christian owner of a small corner store called the pastor of a nearby church and said, My store keeps getting robbed and there are drug dealers in front of my place day and night. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. The pastor, Alex Rivera, said, I tell you what, if you let me come down to your store once a week with a group, we will pray that God will intervene. Is that okay with you? The store owner agreed, and that Thursday afternoon, shoppers looked curiously about as they heard a strange sound coming from the back of the store. Pastor Alex and his group prayed in earnest for the protection of the store and asked that the drug dealers be dealt with. Within four weeks, four drug dealers were arrested. Not only that, but two persons who frequented the store were led to Christ. And one is now attending Pastor Alex's church. Several weeks later, the store owner became a Christian. Prayer makes a difference. In Bakersfield, California, the Olive Knowles Nazarene Church spearheaded a prayer evangelism ministry that targets apartment complexes in a high-need area. Crime was so high in these complexes that the police were often called two or three times a day. Drugs were being dealt freely. Unemployment was high. Most of the families were dysfunctional. Many lacked even the basic necessities for daily living. All this began to change when the church took a prayer-care approach to the situation. They prayer-walked the area planted lighthouses of prayer, and reached out to needy residents with Compassion Ministries. The eight lighthouses met weekly in the complexes to pray for residents and their needs. The church reported the following results. A person from the complex got a job the day after he was released from prison. By the way, that never happens, okay? The manager of one of the complexes became a Christian, an out-of-control boy who had been kicked out of school for unruliness turned into a hard-working straight-A student. Drug dealers moved out and, and crime, the crime rates came down. Many people started attending church. Ten people made commitments to Christ. Eighteen young people from the complexes began, became involved in the church's youth ministry. Several new Bible studies were started. Forty-five families received help from the church. The police now come to the complexes barely once a week, says a, a pastor at the church. The police have asked the church to consider planting lighthouses of prayer in other complexes where there are similar problems. Prayer is making a difference. In another context, a church decided to test the, effective, the effectiveness of serious prayer on an evangelistic endeavor. Church members selected 80 names from the telephone directory and prayed for those people. Another 80 names were chosen and that group of people received no prayer. After three months, church members called everyone in the two test groups. Out of the 80 who received no prayer, only one responded favorably. But among the group that had been prayed for, 
69 responded positively, agreeing to a visit by church members. 45 of them even invited the church prayer teams, the church prayer teams into their homes. Prayer clearly made a difference. It's clear from Scripture that prayer makes a difference. Moses praying for Joshua and the armies of Israel was the difference between victory and defeat. Elijah's prayer made the difference between drought and rain. Prayer is the means by which believers accomplish great things for God. John 14, verses 12 through 14. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. Prayer is the mean by which, means by which God's power is released into the world. James 5.16 Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Prayer makes a difference. So if that's true then, number two, we must determine to pray. Since prayer makes a difference and Satan knows it, he will seek to keep us from praying. And I would say that he's been pretty effective in that regard. He must make a, we must make a commitment to pray, something we determine to do daily. Don't allow distractions or busyness to dissuade you from praying. When believers band together to pray, two or three, that's the, that's the condition, right? Two or three. When believers band together to pray for their neighbors, they become a spiritual lighthouse. We ask God to, sh- God to shine the light of His love, grace, and blessing into the lives of our neighbors, into their homes and families. We can do this by praying with our own spouse, or with family members, or by joining together with one or more believers. Prayer is the key to, to shining heaven's light of blessing into a dark world. And then we need to be aware of the reasons why we should pray for our neighbors. We need to be aware of the reasons why we should pray for our neighbors. First of all, God gives us our neighbors. You and I could have been placed in any neighborhood in the city, but we're where God wants us to be right now. We are alive here and now in the very set of neighbors God has chosen for us surround us. The Apostle Paul, speaking to the people of Athens, declared that God determined the times set for the nations and the exact places where they should live. Surely, the God who determined and established the exact places for the nations has also determined and established the exact place for each person within that nation. That includes you and me and our neighbors. And since the church is made up of people, our neighbors are really our church's neighbors. Think for a moment of how many people live near the members of our church. 
in the various neighborhoods we live in throughout our city. Consider what God intended in giving us so many neighbors. And we need to realize then that our neighbors matter to God. God's given us neighbors. Our neighbors matter to God. Did you know that most Americans don't know the names of three of their closest neighbors? But God knows their names. Most of us are not very aware of our neighbors or of their needs, but God is. God bears our neighbors and their needs on His heart because they matter to Him. Only one time in Jesus' life, according to the biblical record, did our Lord tell three parables, one after the other, with the same thing. They were the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost or the prodigal son. Their common theme is that lost people matter to God. Jesus must have wanted to make sure that we would get the message. If lost people matter so much to God, shouldn't they matter to us too? And then, neighbors welcome prayer. Today it is rare for a person to turn down the offer of prayer. I remember um, when we were pastoring on the coast, I invited Jack Jack Eyestone, and I don't know if any of you have ever heard him preach, but he's a fantastic preacher. He was was the district superintendent uh, back in Missouri somewhere, I think, at the time. But we were in the Portland airport. Now, Portland, Oregon is not known for its... uh, What's a good word for it? Being an overly uh, connected to God city. Let's put it that that way. But anyway, we were down at the, you know, the carousel where uh, your baggage comes off. and, And Jack could tell that this lady was in distress. So he just went over to her and he said, you know, ma'am, what's going on? And she told him about this issue that he was dealing with. And he said, do you believe in prayer? And she said, yes. And he said, Could I pray with you right now? And listen, folks, most people, especially when they're in crisis or dealing with a problem in their lives, they're willing to be prayed for. Uh, For example, a couple was placed in a 200-unit apartment complex in Modesto, California. Expressly, They had a strategy expressly to pray for the tenants there. After laying a foundation of prayer, the couple personally contacted the people living in the other 199 units and offered to pray for them. In all but one of those units, the neighbors responded favorably and most of them made prayer requests on the spot. And that's typical of the way people throughout North America today are responding as Christians offer to pray for them. God has opened a wide door of opportunity for us today. When people open themselves up for prayer, they are opening themselves up to God, who again and again takes the opportunity to demonstrate His power and love in response to prayer. These people also open themselves up to relationship with the persons who have offered to pray for them. It's very important 
to grasp this opportunity. And so then we need to understand that prayer releases God's grace and power in the lives of our neighbors. Prayer releases God's grace and power in the lives of our neighbors. Prayer said, see Samuel Storms, who was a theologian, is powerful because God is powerful. And prayer is the means through which that divine power is released and channeled into our lives. Prayer is also the means by which prayer and power, excuse me, which is also the means by which power is channeled into the lives of our neighbors that we're praying for. Think of God as having an infinite reservoir of blessings. A pipeline connects every house in our neighborhood to that reservoir. There's, there's a valve on that pipeline to your neighbors, and that valve is only open through prayer. Each time you pray for a neighbor, you open the valve and allow God's blessings, His grace, to flow into those people's lives. Before long, your neighborhood can become like a well-watered garden. Now, let me tell you something about this. Sometimes, and we don't always see it this way, God's blessing is the blessing of conviction. Boy, there was no resounding amen to that one, was there? But sometimes it's the blessing of conviction. God wants us to know that some of the things we're doing are sin. They're not pleasing to Him. And so He talks to us about that. That's a blessing, folks. Why would God want us to continue to do things that are, that are, are, are going to end up condemning us? He loves us too much for that. So, our prayer releases blessings into people's lives. Before long, your neighborhood then can be like a well-watered garden. Prayer is the instrument by which God has chosen to have His power directed in the universe. A Norwegian theologian, named his last name was Hollisby, offers something of a mental picture of how this works. This power is so rich and so mobile that all we have to do when we pray is to point to the persons or things to which we desire to have this prayer applied. And He, the Lord of this power, will direct the necessary power to the desired place. We zero in. Prayer can move mountains. That's what the Scripture says, right? Prayer can move mountains. It can change human hearts, families, neighborhoods, cities, and nations. It, it's the ultimate source of, of power because it's the power of Almighty God. We're drawing upon the power of Almighty God. Just imagine the impact of God's power as our, choice, as, as our church points to our neighbors and God directs the necessary power into the lives of the people in our neighborhoods. One church in a small New York town decided to canvas its community by means of prayer. There were no brochures, no newsletters, no tracts. No one pressed the doorbell. All the church did was pray that God would touch the lives of the people who lived on each of the town's 40 streets. What happened? 
people started visiting that church out of the blue. One Sunday, four families showed up just a few days after the people on their street had prayed for them. Prayer reached into their neighbors' hearts, hearts and homes. And so what happens? Well, as we pray, prayers tend to become carers, and carers tend to become sharers. This progression from praying to caring to sharing is often the experience of those who choose to make their home a lighthouse. One person who put this into practice put, shared this testimony. Before I started praying for neighbors, I was barely conscious of them and their needs. Once I started praying for them, I quickly moved from being interested in, to, in them to looking for opportunities to show that I cared. Beyond that, I now feel a deep concern for their spiritual well-being and am praying and watching for opportunities to share the gospel with them. What's even more remarkable is that those who begin to pray for neighbors soon develop a prayer, care, share lifestyle. They find themselves watching for opportunities to pray, to care for and share the blessings of Christ with all kinds of people. Imagine if our church were full of prayer, care, share Christians. And so then, God uses praying, caring, sharing Christians to reclaim His world. When Jesus, pro- when, excuse me, when Satan promised Jesus that he would give him all the kingdoms of the world if he would only bow down to him, Jesus didn't dispute Satan's claim to those kingdoms. Instead, he rejected Satan's offer and went on to claim this world for the kingdom of God which in time would embrace all the kingdoms of the world. Through his finished work of salvation, Jesus gained authority over every square inch on earth. You can look at that in Matthew 28:18 and in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. According to his own plan, God is reclaiming his world and wresting it from Satan's hand by means of his church in this world. He is using us. Praying, caring, and sharing all fit into God's plan for reclaiming what the devil now claims. He, speaking of God, who wants all people to be saved, calls for prayer to make it happen. He who on earth welcomed sinners and ate with them challenges us in similar ways. And again, this has not only a a physical, material implication, but a spiritual implication as well. He who on earth welcomed sinners and ate with them challenges us in similar ways to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, anyone who is lost, into our lives. In addition, Jesus promised the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can be His witnesses to the ends of the earth. Or maybe in our case, 
to the end of the block. Praying, caring, sharing Christians are impacting their world for Jesus Christ. Wherever God has placed them, each believer in Christ is involved in God's plan to reclaim His world. So, how do you make this work? And that's, I think, on the back side of your notes today. How do you make this work? And by the way, uh, this is kind of one of those simple plans that you know you hear about every once in a while. Uh, if you want to expand it beyond this, this is that's great. You don't have to just do five minutes of prayer five days a week for, for five weeks. But identify five neighbors, saved or unsaved, that God would lead you to pray for. Commit to pray five minutes a day, five days a week, for five weeks. Now, if you want to pray seven minutes a day for seven, I don't care. But this is a way to get started. And here's what you pray for. Because sometimes we don't know. Okay? Until we begin developing connections with people and get some insight in our, into their lives, we don't necessarily know. So here's, here's some things you can pray for. And we use bless as an acrostic. B, for their body, it stands for body, for their health, for their protection, for their healing. L, stands for labor, for their employment, for adequate income, for good work environments. E, for emotional, inner peace, joy, wisdom, Insight and patience. S, social, for relationships between spouses, parents, children, friends, for reconciliation, for love in those households. And then S, for the spiritual, for conviction, for repentance, for salvation, for obedience, for spiritual growth. And understanding. So if you don't know, if you're not inside, if you're not well acquainted enough with people to know specifics, then here's a guide for things that you can pray for for them. And hey, we could all use this kind of prayer in our lives. Amen? So, in keeping with our whole idea of connecting people with Jesus, we need a way to get started. And a great place for us to impact the lives of people is right where we live. With our, with our next door neighbors with the people down the block. And the key to that is praying for them. God uses prayer as the power to reach people's lives, to change them in a positive way, to bring them to Jesus, to work in their lives in, in ways that, well, that they not only need, but that they never thought would happen. And that happens because we, as their neighbors, care enough about them to pray for them. And that helps us then begin developing connections with them. And as we develop connections with them, we're able then to share Jesus with them and to be evangelistic in ways that God has called us to be right where we live. Okay? Okay? Okay. Amen. Pray with me. Father, you know that sometimes this is exactly what we need. We need a plan. We need something that kind of helps us move forward. And there's no doubt in my mind that there 
are people, neighbors of ours in every neighborhood that we represent in our church body or even beyond that because we've got guests from all over the country today. There are neighbors who need prayer. Their neighbors have issues in their lives. Their neighbors who are struggling. Their neighbors who are lost and do not know Jesus. There are people who need prayer. And we can begin to begin to become evangelistic in our own neighborhoods as we pray for people. As we use this acrostic as a guide. As, we, as you lay people on our hearts, we should be praying for consistently. Because, Father, I believe that as we do that, You will open doors for us. You will open doors to make connection with these people. You will open doors for us to to engage them and to know something about them and to know about the issues in their lives that they deal with so that we can pray more specifically and intelligently. And we believe, Father, that as we do that, that's an inroad for You to work in their lives, to change their lives, and to change our neighborhoods and to change our community for Jesus' sake. Lord God, help us, at the very least, to begin to pray for our neighbors. And then as you open doors for us to connect with them face to face and to share Jesus with them, we will have the boldness and courage to do so. Thank you, God, that you care for us and that you care for those folks that we live next door to and down the block from. Help us to be obedient followers of Jesus Christ and the evangelists you have called us to be in the world where we live. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Simple plan. Put it to work and see what God will do. 